Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Today's the first time you're here and you may be visiting us. Um, we are in the process of going through a study through the book of Acts. I'm looking at the history of the early church and um, today particularly I want to talk very briefly, quote unquote, that's my aim, <laughs> very briefly to talk about radical change. And um, we're not going to go through the text, which is a normal endeavor, verse by verse. Um, I was actually preparing to finish the end of chapter 4 and also complete chapter 5 today. As you know, which, 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 which. as much as we are aiming to, to progressively make our way through in a balanced fashion... Um, as I said, teaching verse by verse, today's going to be slightly different. We're not actually going to be getting into our main text today. Because I just really felt compelled to, to share something else. And um, if you know me quite well, you know that I'm not someone who's kind of given to the winds and the gusts that can tend to blow um, and determine our direction. Really, obviously, we get our direction from God's word in a particular and specific sense. And for us, we go through the Bible. So from week to week, you know where you are. We know where we are, those of us who are teaching. But um, I can't lie, this, this particular week, I've just been compelled to share something else. So, on a basic level... What we aim to do as we go through God's word that is line upon line, we aim to do three things. The first thing is observation. The second thing is interpretation. And the third thing is application. These are the basic rules that we apply to, to teaching here at South London. Observation, interpretation, and application of God's word. Observation meaning, what does the Bible say? What does it say? We're not into eisegesis, which is basically adding to what is there. We try to do what they call exegesis which is basically to take out or extract from that which is actually in the Word of God. So it's, it's important for us to carefully look at, you know, what does it say? What does it say? The second thing that we try to do is interpretation, which is after looking at it from an observational point of view, and now you find out, what it actually says, interpretation that says, well, 
What does it mean? Because the writer had a particular viewpoint in mind with regard to who he was speaking to. And we need to understand exactly what it meant in its context. I mean, even though that's a real important thing to bear in mind, particularly nowadays. So, interpretation. You know what it says? Okay, well, what does it mean? The third rule we try to apply is, is an application. We know what it says. Looking at the, the Hebrew and the Greek, sometimes the Aramaic, in particular portions of the Bible. Looking at good commentaries. Considering historically what the conservative church has believed over the centuries. We interpret the scriptures in terms of what they mean, but then we need to apply it. Not just what does it say or what does it mean, but what does it mean to us? What does it mean to me and what does it mean to you? <clears throat> Question, what does the book of Acts, chapter 1 through 4, which is where we've been, what does the book of Acts mean to us at this point? Whenever you hear anyone up here teaching or preaching on a, on a very basic level, you want to you hear one of these three things happening. This week I've been confronted with the importance of all three, but particularly the third. It's imperative to come to terms with what the Bible says. It's vital to understand what it means. But it's crucial to appropriate and appreciate what it means to us. And then by the grace of God, apply it. Apply it. Now, would I be doing my job, or any of the pastors here, or anyone who teaches here from time to time, would we be doing our job if all three were not being highlighted? No, we wouldn't. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's a hard job. I think those of you that have come up and had the opportunity to teach, you've done so with great fear and trembling. If not before, definitely after. Or if not after, definitely before. And during, right? I mean, you only got to come up here and do the announcements. And you get an appreciation of what it's like to have to stand before God's people and communicate. Now, I say it's our job to do all three, but particularly I've had on my heart this third aspect. With regard to this third point, I feel we need as a church... We need to ask ourselves some searching questions. Some of the things I'm going to say you've heard before, but you've heard it in passing. I really kind of want to take an opportunity to, to, to tackle it quite head on. I hope when you came in you signed um, the disclaimer form on the back table. <laughs> because, you know, these disclaimers... You know, you get into these makeshift amusement parks. 
the ones that they kind of put up overnight. You could, like I used to live in Dulwich, in Dockino Hill, not far from the Adventure Playground. And um, down by Peckham Rye Park, I don't know if you know around here too good, but by, down by Peckham Rye Park, every year or, every, or twice a year you'd have this, this fun fair come into town and they'd set up their stuff, like literally overnight. I'd be at the bus stop, you know what I'm saying, on a, on a Friday, going to school, waiting for the 63, and, you know what I'm saying, come back the, the next day, I'm this, out, from out of nowhere. And back then, they didn't do it. But nowadays, more so, they do it. That is, have a disclaimer form that you have to sign before you get on some of the rides. Like, sign your life away. If anything happens on here, they're not taking no responsibility. You know what I mean? It's funny, I was having a chat with Patrick just this week about an accident that took place in the Adventure Playground, was it about six years ago? That's nine years ago. And um, apparently someone got injured there, and now, just recently, they made a claim for this injury that happened like nine years ago. And the funny thing is, they got paid out. Now, it ain't got nothing to do with Patrick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nothing to do with him whatsoever. Um... And, you know, there was an insurance claim. And it was, it was something really minor, right, Pete? Minor. Nah, that got me thinking because about... How old am I? 40. About 22 years ago, I broke my ankle in that very same adventure playground. <laughs> and I was like, hey! <laughs> Make a quick... Anybody got the number for claims direct? <laughs> But the funny thing is, this claim that they made was minor, but they got paid out, right? My claim would have been major. I literally broke my ankle clean, and it wasn't my fault. I was on one of the swinging ropes that's supposed to be safe and secure, right? They're supposed to be checked every day, right? The rope snapped. It's the border swing where you swing out, and then someone jumps on, and you swing back, and then someone else jumps on. And we've done it about six times and all you heard was, pow, and the rope snapped, and everyone dropped on me, and I dropped, and I broke my ankle, clean, to the point I didn't even know it was broken. I got up to stand up, and my leg just disappeared underneath me. But that was major. Now, long story short, we, as a leadership here, have to be responsible we have to give an account for your lives when we stand before the Lord. As much as we would love to just give you a disclaimer and say, just sign this and whatever happens is your business. Don't come running to us. I have nothing to do with whatever happened. Whether, you're, whether you fall, get hurt or injured in your spiritual life, you crash, burn or have internal combustion, whatever happens to your spiritual life ain't nothing to do with us. I wish that I could say that. Now, I'm, as I said, I'm sharing my heart with you this morning. You know what I mean? But with regard to the responsibilities that I have, that we have as a leadership, I know that one day I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for your lives. But, how many of you know that you also have to give an account for yourself? 
you also personally have to give an account for yourself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, it says, For we must, how many of us? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he or she has done, whether good or bad. Check it. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, I'm joking. There is no disclaimer form on the back table for those who took what I said literally. But we all need to know that we will be held accountable for our lives. We will be held accountable for all that you heard. You'll be held accountable for all that you heard and understood. You'll be held accountable for all that you've heard and understood that applies to you. So what can I say? Make sure you've got your seatbelt and your safety harness on today. From the outset, let us pray that God will help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I suppose you can only say that so many times, right? Last week we saw Peter and John stand up and boldly represent the gospel empowered by the Spirit. We saw the word of God coupled with the power of the spirit of God. And as our working title for this book suggests, we're not just looking at the acts of the apostles, but we continue to see the words and deeds of Jesus effected by the Holy Spirit through his apostles. The continuing words and deeds of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through his apostles. I mean, if you know, the Lord wants to continue to work. He wants to continue to share his words, that is the words, and the deeds of Jesus by his spirit through his now disciples. And as I said, when we, when we look at these particular two disciples, we see a completely different Peter and John. I mean, these guys have been through a radical change. These men have been transformed. Now there are there are a few, but one of the questions on the floor is are we enjoying a similar experience? Are we experiencing radical change in our lives? Are we? Or are we just kind of going through the motions daily, weekly, monthly, yearly? Now trust me, as we say often, this is not just about pointing a finger at those in front of the pulpit. This is with reference and regard to those behind the pulpit also. 
See, you need to remember that these disciples, they were only three and a half year old believers. Now think about that. We look at Peter and John and the rest of the apostles and even the disciples, and we're like, wow, yeah, well, that was them, innit? They're different to us. Well, yes, they were, in a sense. But in so many ways, they're completely similar to us. Fair enough, the disciples, Peter and John, spent time with Jesus personally. But throughout the whole of the time that they were with Jesus, we consistently see them acting like us. Unbelieving, arguing, murmuring, complaining about who is the greatest and who should be first. and Just like us, right up until the time where Jesus is crucified. I mean, even that, that very night, they were going back and forth about things that were not important. So much in the lives of the disciples that we can identify with and yet they got to a point where there was a radical change in their lives. They got to a point where they stopped being one type of person and they began to be another. Three and a half years old in the Lord they were. And that's the oldest of them. Talk about being thrown in at the deep end. Well, how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you in the deep end? Feel like you're drowning? Are you in the shallow end? Trying to come to terms with learning how to swim this Christian life. Are you even in the water? See, the question is, are we being transformed? Are we being radically changed? Are you, and please, can I ask you not to sit as maybe some of us do who are familiar with church and been here for a while and kind of been around the block and seen a lot and kind of done, quote unquote, a lot. Can I ask you not to sit today without listening, without hearing what potentially the Lord might be saying to us by his spirit? Are you changing? Are you changing even as by the spirit of God, are you moving from one state of glory to another? Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says, but we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, when I first became a Christian, I remember the moment when 
everything changed. I mean, I remember that moment like it happened yesterday. Like it happened five minutes ago. It was so stark and it was so real to me. Even to the point when after accepting Christ at the front of that church in St. Mark's in Kennington, going up the front and for the first time praying, God, I realize I'm a sinner. And not just I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner who's heading for your judgment. And I'm terrified. I never realized it was like that. God, please forgive me of, of all of my sin. I mean... I prayed that really from my heart, like, I'm, I'm, I, Lord, I really mean it. And I remember getting up, wiping the tears away, not that the tears necessarily meant anything, but that's what happened. Wiping the tears away and walking out that church and looking at the sky. And it was still the same sky, and I suspect it was still the same color. But it looked completely different to me. The trees looked different to me. And then when I began to relate to other people at work and within my family, I realized that something had changed. And I realized that things were never going to be the same again. I was at work and someone said to me, Robert, are you all right? And I went, yeah, I think so. And we were talking, they were talking about boxing. I was sitting at the table in, in the canteen in the post office where I used to work. There was a little section in the canteen they used to call Caribbean Corner. And that's where I used to sit. And there was another table called Number One Table where most of the, the English drivers would sit. And I mean, there was no animosity. It was all love. You know what I mean? But it's just the way that things were, right? And I remember sitting there, we were talking about boxing. And for the first time, I thought, Boxing. I thought, what's boxing really all about? As they were talking about, and I thought, men punching up one another in the name of like sport. And I, and I, I mean, now I'm not trying to comment on whether boxing is right or wrong at this point. I'm just telling you what was going through my mind. And I thought, man, I don't even know if that's right. And so there's me kind of drifting away in my own thinking. And this is one of the reasons why they had said to me, Robert, are you all right? And I said, yeah. I said, you know what, I think, random, random, talk about random, I thought, you know what, I think boxing's a blood sport, you know. And they were like, huh? <laughs> and then we started to talk about music. Now, as I think I mentioned maybe last week, or you heard me mention it before, I used to be a DJ, right? I used to DJ on Rampage before it was Rampage. And we start talking about music. And then I'm sitting there, and again, I just begin to drift off. And I start thinking about the songs and the music that we were talking about and record shot that weekend and what we'd got on, blah, blah, blah. And I began to think, man, music. Music's like the number one thing on my, on my I mean, even above girls and women, music was an idol. It was my God I worshipped at the altar of music. You, you have to understand and I sat there, and again, I just I was like, wow, music. I wonder if I give too much of my heart maybe to music and my money and spending £50 a week on records. And back then, that's a lot of money. And, and there's me thinking about this. And, and then they're like, Robert, 
I'm talking about the fact that I remember when things radically changed in my life. Now, can you remember that time in your life? Do you remember that time when you, as a young believer, were just on fire? Like, on fire. Like, anywhere you went, you'd be sharing the gospel. You didn't care. You felt no embarrassment whatsoever, and you were completely filled with the Spirit. You even said some things that were dumb and stupid. And I'm saying that you kind of go away and you think, oh, man. But I'm saying there was this boldness and this fervor. It wasn't like, oh, you know what, man, it's been a few days that I haven't prayed. I really need to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. But anyway, them days it wasn't like that. You never even thought about, man, I, I really, should I really go to the, you know what I'm saying, the meeting this night, tonight? Or should I really read my Bible, mm, TV, my Bible? Mm. You know, I'm, I remember back in them days, I never even had them kind of conversation. You know when you talk to yourself? I never had them kind of conversations with myself. Today, nowadays, I find myself talking myself out of those things. You, you feeling me? I'm saying that at one point, if you have experienced that change and you know that it was real, thank God for that. Praise God. Hallelujah. You're saved. But then, how have things been since then? How have things been since then? Are you continuing to change? Are you continually being transformed? Even by the Spirit? Get into that place where you look daily more like Jesus. See, are you growing? Are you growing in the area of your understanding and ability to handle the scriptures. We saw that in Peter and John, didn't we? Two guys had only been in the Bible for three and a half years, at least in a specific sense. Standing up and communicating the, the deep things of God with regard to the scriptures. And doing so with great understanding. See, are you growing in that area? Am I growing in that area? Secondly, are we growing in the area of boldness and willingness to be a witness for the gospel of Christ? Again, we see that in Peter and John, these baby Christians. If three and a half, I mean, in natural terms, three and a half years ain't a, ain't a long time. You don't expect a three-and-a-half-year-old ch child to tie their laces, even though that's basic. You don't expect a three-and-a-half-year-old child, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to know their ABC, to begin to spell words, and to begin to, to do things that mature people can do, because they're only a baby. But not that we can definitely create this parallel between the natural and the spiritual in that sense, but look at Peter and John after three and a half years. And we have the same word that they had. And brethren, we got the same spirit. Are you growing in these two areas of your life? Now, on the real. Not just another Sunday morning, oh, that was a good service. Or, oh, yeah, it was nice to catch up with everyone. I mean, on the real this morning or this afternoon even. 
Are you growing in the area of your understanding and ability to handle the scriptures and in the area of boldness and willingness to be a witness for the gospel of Christ? Not necessarily an evangelist, because that might not be your calling. But we're all called, how many of you know we're all called to be witnesses? A witness, all a witness does is, just like in court, he stands up and he testifies as to what he saw, what he understands. That's all he does. And then, thirdly in this area, now you might have the first two on lock. You might really be moving in your understanding and your ability to handle the scriptures. Thank the Lord for that. That's banging. That's good. That's to be applauded. And the second area, in the area of boldness and willingness to be a witness, that's you. But then, how about this third area? Are you growing in your love for your brothers and your sisters? Are you growing in your love for your brothers and your sisters? See, all these three points... We see as we go through the book of Acts. And if these three points are not reality in our lives, they need to become a reality. Amen? This is not a time for condemnation. This is a time for evaluation. If they're not in our lives, they need to become a reality in our lives. Now, these challenges are not just confronting you as a part of the listening congregation, but these challenges are staring us as a leadership team straight in the face. We are so challenged at the moment, it's not funny. Every... Everyone who is a committed part of the body here at at South London is being challenged. Now, the, the economy isn't the only thing that's being examined. God is scrutinizing our lives. Now, in response to this challenge, how many of you know that we, as a leadership, we won't make you do anything? Sometimes we we jokingly talk about what we could do, what others may be doing, but we know that we we can't use those methods. We will encourage you, we'll exhort, we will rebuke, we will reprove. And we will try to provoke, but we won't force, drive, or manipulate any of you to do anything. Yet, if you are resistant to growth, to change and development it's going to become very uncomfortable for you around here. It is going to get very difficult if you're resistant to change, if you're resistant to development. If you came here to South London looking for an 
18th century building with a spire and a leaking roof, you come to the wrong place. See, if you've come seeking to get your ears tickled, you've definitely come to the wrong place. And I suspect that our numbers are going to go down before they go up. And it's not that it's about numbers, but it is about numbers in the sense that in the book of Acts, we hear that God adds to the church daily such as should be saved. So numerical growth is only um, the byproduct of life. If something is alive, it will grow, right? So it's not about trying to churn out numbers, but we need to see growth. Yet, as I said, I suspect that Things are going to reduce before they begin to flourish. See, because we're getting ready and bracing ourselves for a revolution around here. Are you ready for it? Well, if you are, that's good. I think some of, some, some of you are anticipating it. Now, if you aren't, then begin to get ready, at least in your thinking. Now, we wanted to mention this earlier in the service, just as a five-minute exhortation, <clears throat> but we couldn't. Because the people that need to hear it are always late. When we begin the service at 11 o'clock, there's only a handful of people present. I mean, literally. If you were here earlier at the beginning, you can bear me witness maybe 10, maybe 12 people. I said I was going to count and I didn't, but service starts at 11. <clears throat> I suspect that if you're not here at 10.30 or 10.45 at the latest, the question needs to be asked, how serious are you? That is Serious about change. Change not just in your life, just in my life, but change in the life of those that we come into contact with because we're inextricably linked to one another. We need to be reminded. And you might say, well, you know what? I'm not really happy about this or I'm not happy about that here at South London. That's one of the reasons why I come late. Well, whatever the problems are, see yourself as a part of the solution. See, the question isn't, Robert, Ephraim, Patrick, what are you not going to do about this? The question is, what are we going to do about this? We're a community. See, this is not a there ain't no one-man band around here. In a few weeks' time, we'll be implementing membership. Now, different people, for different reasons, have asked questions about that. Five years ago, I would have said, membership? I don't need no membership. That's too formal, I would have said. Now, oh my goodness. <clears throat> we see the the very, very serious need for membership. One of the reasons, among many, and um, we're, we're just finalizing 
um, probably a four-page document that you will receive explaining the reasons, the whys, and the wherefores for membership. But just one of the reasons is because our time is quite limited, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but our time is quite limited. Therefore, it's important that we know who's here and who is committed here. Because if you're here and you're committed, the Lord has brought you here and your heart is here, then you know what? We're committed to you. <laughs> Whatever that might mean, you know what I'm saying? Boy, we're committed to you. But if we don't know that you're committed, not just to us, but to the rest of the body here, why should we show a commitment to you? We're talking about time, effort, and energy when there are those that really need it versus some that, you know what? We question whether or not the need is something that we should be giving our attention to. If we have a membership, it's going to give us the opportunity to say, okay, well, you know what? Five people are signed up. So, hey, you know what? Them five, we're committed to those five people. I think we've come to a point where we realize that opening the doors and allowing anyone to be able to come in, to give anyone the freedom to come in, that's never going to change. We've got an open door policy in that sense. Obviously, unless someone is in gross sin and we need to, you know what I'm saying? I was going to say exterminate, but that's not the right word. <laughs> What's the right word again? Excommunicate. Thank you, my brother. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, apart from... <laughs> I mean, God may eventually do that, but that's up to him, right? We're going to see that when we get a little further in chapter 5. But, and then Ice and Sapphire, right? And, but the doors open, so it's never a case of, well, you know what? You've got to sign membership before you can step through the doors. No. But we're just saying, you know what? We need to know who's committed here. You know what I mean? So we can say, hey, it's like being in the army. You remember Gideon, where God sends him to battle, and he's got like 30,000 men at his command. But how many of you know, the majority of those who were in that army, they weren't in that army. They weren't fighting for the same cause. The only thing is, Gideon never knew that. So God says to Gideon, you know what, Gideon, just before we leave and go to engage the battle, you need to send some of the guys home. He's like, huh? But Lord, we're already outnumbered in, in ways that are really insomniac. Lord, it's like, and the Lord says, you know what? Whatever, Gideon. And he says, speak to those who are fearful and send them home. 22,000 men go home. And at that point, you'd think, okay then. <laughs> like we are, we've been cut down, like two-thirds of our army are now no longer here. And the Lord says, <laughs> Gideon's like, all right, let's go. The Lord's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, we've still got a few that we need to 
take them down to the brook and whoever licks the water in like a, a dog would lap like a drink. I'm trying to say that in a good way. Um, versus those who cut the water and bring it up to their mouth. Make another separation. The man ends up with 300. Is that, that's like what? Is that one one hundredth of the original amount? Now, please don't, please don't get the impression I'm trying to say that we're Gideon. You know what I mean? And if you ain't really here, you ain't really up for this. You know what I'm saying? Go home. Get out. Don't take it like that. What I'm saying is, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, God was saying, you just need men who are going to be committed. You're going to need people around you who, when you're on the battlefield, you don't have to be thinking, wait a minute. Is my man going to be on my left? Is, is that other guy going to be on my right protecting me and me protecting them? You know what I'm saying? It's like we are in a place right now in South London after being a church for five years. We're in a place now. We need to start moving forward. But you know what? We can't do it. With our present structure, we can't do it. And we as a leadership are first and foremost... You know what I'm saying? To take the blame and responsibility for that. And trust me, if you know, just the past six months, we've been meeting in ways that we've never met before, seeking God in ways that we've never done before. With the intention of saying, Lord, you know, we just want to do this properly, Lord. We're serious about this, Lord. But we're not going to just begin to implement programs and Just for the sake of it. What are we going to do next? I don't know. Well, find out what they're doing down the road and let's do what they do. We ain't got time for that. And I'm saying, what are, not what are we going to do about this. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've been given advance notice about membership. Membership will answer the question, are you committed to the community here? As I said, it'll be interesting to see who signs up. Well, you might be saying, another person might be saying, well, you know what? I did not leave my house this morning to come here and hear this. Well, what did you leave your house this morning for? Are we serious about change? Well, the text lends itself to exactly where we're at in so many different ways. Especially when we get to chapter 6, if you've been reading ahead with regard to the implementation of what, what we would suggest are deacons. And it's a response from the apostles at, oh my goodness, this situation has arisen, what do we do? And that identifies a little bit of what we're experiencing here. We're coming across situations and circumstances because of growth. You know, there are about 40 Calvary chapels in this country. 
and we're among the top five in numerical growth. Now, you might look at that and think, hmm, what big deal? You know what I mean? It's like maybe a hundred of us. But in relative terms, that's, that's quite big. Especially when you're not entertaining people from the front and promising them, you know what I'm saying, stuff that you really can't provide. You know what I mean? We're quite a healthy number. And we believe the Lord really wants to add to us. And not only does he want to add to us, he wants to, he wants to cause growth in different ways, meaning maybe some of us leaving here and going to different places. And the growth continuing, but in different places, in the same way that it has here. Like I said, quite challenging times. But we're not going to be able to substantially meet that growth if we don't begin to broaden, one, the leadership team here, and two, those who will support the ministry in many different ways. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's for another time. We're going to come to that. What I'm saying is be encouraged because things are happening. And we want you to be directly involved. You may not see the results immediately, but believe me, things are happening like a, like a computer program. Things are happening in the background. Our prayer is that we will begin to see the effects sooner rather than later. But it's going to take a team effort. Can I give you one example of a, of a challenge to us as a leadership? We need further development. And we need to further develop others. Right? I mean, that's growth right there. You see it in a family, you see it in a company. We need to develop and we need to further develop others. And as I mentioned last week in passing, but it's the need to probably go on to further education for those of us who are in leadership here. Bible school, technically. Why? Because we need to give ourselves to the word of God and prayer on another level. And it's been hard to communicate that. As much as we know it's Bible. It's been hard because it seems like, oh, well, you're just going to go off and do the easy stuff. Why everyone else has to do all the hard work. Now, I'm trying to adjust my thinking. You know what I mean? And I suppose I've, I've been, been in pastoral ministry for five years now and being in ministry for about 15 years now I'm coming to terms of you know what like Paul says those who work hard at teaching and preaching are worthy of double honor now that doesn't mean that we should you should give us a round of applause when we step up to the pulpit you know what I'm saying but Paul talks about not muzzling the ox as it treads out the grain now, if, I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but as the cows used to turn the, the mill that ground or, did, or grinded, is that where the, 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 the wheat and so on, right? They wouldn't put a muzzle on the ox because if they did, the, the ox wouldn't be able to eat the corn that it's grinding. Now, he's not going to eat all of it, but take the muzzle off so that he can eat some of it while he's working. You know what I'm saying? It's sufficient way of working, no breaks, I don't know. <laughs> but um, Paul says, don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Now, because we're trying to stay away from this prosperity thing, 
We don't really like to talk a lot about money. That's not a good thing. It's not healthy. Because it's biblical to talk about giving. But because we've tried to shy away from it for so long, we're finding it hard now to come and talk about stuff like giving and commitments to giving. We're finding it hard to extract commitment like you need to be here every single Sunday being involved. Not on a rota that says you come in once every three or four weeks. Now that sounds exacting. And even as I say it, I'm like, oh my goodness. How are people going to take this one, Pat? When, when we first became Christians, and I say we, again, myself, Patrick, and Ephraim, the church that we got involved in, Patrick and Helen ran the children's ministry. I mean, talk about children's, we've been doing children's ministry for like, ever since, like 20, 19 years. I mean, we did children's ministry for like nearly, nearly 15 years. And there were others in here who were with us at, at Westminster who were involved in children's ministry. And Ephraim was on the, 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 the praise and worship team back in them days. Right, we call it the praise team now, right? Trying to keep it a bit more Bible. I was on the sound, just like with fingers is right now, on the sound team. Sound team, praise and worship, children's ministry. Every single week. There weren't no rota. Now, Pat said the other day, said, boy, can you imagine... Man, how was it that we was at church like every single week and we weren't the pastors? Well, part of the conclusion was, boy, the Lord is getting us ready, isn't it? But how biblical, I mean, how rational is it that you only have a few people carrying the main burden of the load? Like they say, only 5% of Christians share the, their faith. 95% of Christians don't share their faith, and I'm saying in a concerted fashion. And we'd be like, you know what, it's not even, we should have known that the Bible says what it says, and taught it, preached it, and, implement, and implemented it. We haven't, in a complete sense. And we now find ourselves in a place where, not because the Bible says it, we should do it. We're finding ourselves in a place where we're crushed under the weight of it. Now we're like, oh man, maybe we need to start talking about this stuff. So we want to go on to further our education because we need to take the word seriously and give ourselves to prayer. That's the two things that Peter says in response to, you know what, stuff around here needs to get done. And that was his response. And it now needs to be our response. And let me, let me add to that. That needs to be our humble response. We're happy to carry speaker boxes. We're happy to set up the sound along with the guys that set up the sound. We're happy to cover in children's ministry. Where's Ephraim? Ephraim's down in youth ministry right now. Patrick was overseeing the youth ministry for the past 18 months. That's why you never used to see him in here. And I'm saying, family, brethren, we can't continue to carry this load. 
And we thank God because it's not just us carrying it. There are, there are a few in here that are so committed. Like I said, they're old, like we were, they're old school. They're here every Sunday. And they're not here seeking to be ministered to as much as we all need to be ministered to sometimes, right? They're here to minister. 9.30. But it's just a handful. And we're saying we're a body. And we're saying that we can't do this on our own. How many of us want to come in and be able to relax and take in the word and, and appreciate some fellowship? That's vital. But those who are carrying the burden can't carry it much longer. And then when they collapse, then there's going to be no fellowship. There's going to be no teaching. There's going to be no, there's going to be no fellowship. There's going to be no community. And so, we need to change. We need, we need radical change in our community right here at South London. Are you serious about change? We desire to go to Bible school, but as most of you probably know, um, we can't do that at present because we have to obviously work for a living. Us as a fellowship, we're not in a place where any of us can be supported in any financial sense. We can just about, I think there are a couple of board members in here, that we can, we, we are, we're just paying the rent. Yeah, it's expensive to hire this school and... Without me having to say so, you know I'm not trying to put no burden on you when it comes to finances. But I'm just telling you the challenges that we're confronted with. We see the need to further our education, but we can't at the moment. And because we have to work for a living. I'm highlighting one of the challenges that we're confronted with. As we are all confronted with different challenges. Think about Brother Sandeep. I think I saw Sarah coming. You probably don't all know and you're probably not all aware, but Sandeep is terminally ill. Now how many of you know that's a that's a whole lot of change to have to deal with? Him personally and his family. I suspect on the morning after the death of Jade Goody, her family are now having to confront change. Just like, is it um, Natalie Richardson? Natasha. Natasha Richardson. Liam Nielsen, Liam Neeson's, his wife who died. Apparently she fell down off that, just a nursery slope, like a baby ski slope. Banged her head, she got up and she was fine seemingly. Went and she said, I'm fine, went back to her hotel, she was fine. And within, what, 24 hours, she was dead. I suspect that family is having to confront real change. Now, it's one thing when you have change thrust upon you. It's one thing to respond to it in that sense. As those of, uh, that I've mentioned are having to deal with. But it's another thing to say, you know what? 
Am I going to wait for, ch for change to hit me like a freight train before I begin to respond to change? May God help us. You know, our sister Sabina, she's having to confront real change in her life right now. And again, change that's thrust upon her, in a sense. Yet she has, with real valiance, embraced that change. Now we can allow change to hit and affect us, or we can see it coming and begin to prepare for it. Because you know what? It will come. It will come in our lives. Now, we've seen how <clears throat> these first two things became a reality in the lives of the disciples. First, in the area of their understanding and their ability to handle the scriptures. Now, we've, check it, with five to 10,000 people recently converted, how many of you know the 120 had their work cut out? Right? Talk about the need for more home Bible studies. Eight to 10,000 people have now said, Amen, I can't believe it. All this time, we're the ones who pointed at Jesus and said, Crucify him. <sighs> what must I do, Peter? And he breaks it down. They're like, Amen. What? Repent? Amen. What? Get baptized? Amen. Now what? Well, you, a three-and-a-half-year-old believer, now have to turn around and help hundreds of people asking that question. What would you do? You see, you see the, the circumstances and the, the situation that these Christians, these three-and-a-half-year-old disciples, you see the situation they find themselves in at this point in our journey through the book of Acts. The maximum age, three and a half years old. Question, how long have you been a Christian? Question, how much help could you give a new believer? How much time could you give a new believer? Could you create room on your schedule? Would you be willing, not necessarily able and capable, because whoever feels capable, I thank the Lord that the Apostle Paul says, he says, who is sufficient for these things? He says, I stand there teaching and preaching, trembling, I'd be like, would you be willing to take responsibility of a small Bible study group? See, if we want to grow, that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take. Are you willing to take responsibility, not just attend? Are you willing to take responsibility for a prayer meeting, let's say here on a Sunday morning? Yeah, I'll, I'll be here. 
I'll be here and I'll, and I'll be there at 10 o'clock and I'll be the one to oversee the prayer meeting. Now, it sounds scary, but what is it? All you're going to do is say, okay, guys, it's 10 o'clock. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you. I mean, how hard is that? How hard is that? Honestly speaking, would you be, would you be prepared and willing to take responsibility? Let's say you have... Let's say you don't have children. Like some of the people that work in children's ministry. Would you be willing and prepared to say, you know what? Hmm. I've got no kids. I've got no commitments. Yeah, I'll serve in children's church. I mean, if you have kids, all the more reason <laughs> to get involved and help serve your children. Our children. What would, what would it take to cause you to take responsibility to become a part of the tabernacle team? We're supposed to have an advert this morning, but at the last minute, it never worked out. But you're going to see over the next couple of weeks just some different people coming and sharing what they do here as a part of the body. And you're going to see that it's so simple. It really doesn't take much in, by way of qualification. On the tabernacle team, we've got guys who come in and they set up the chairs. They carry up the sound equipment. The sound team are a part of the tabernacle team. They, they lump all of the, the boxes up to children's ministry and they get everything ready. I can't remember the, 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 the Disney cartoon that, um, where somebody goes to sleep one night and they wake up in the morning and everything's done. What is it? Elves and the Shoemaker. It's like this stuff around here, it, 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 it doesn't get done like that. People come in and they, and, but so often we don't appreciate that. And I'm asking, how hard would it be? How hard would it be for, for you to take responsibility in that sense and become a part of the team that says, you know what? For so long I've been appreciating this. Now, I'm sorry to get on you if you've only been here for five minutes, right? I mean, we've got a rule that says you've got to be here for six months before you can actually do anything. Gives you time to get to know us, gives us time to get to know you, right? You have to know those that labor among you, right? So, um, but if you've been here for a while, like I said, how long have you been a Christian? We need so much help. We need so much help. But only a few are responding. How about taking responsibility of a small discipleship group? You know, I mean, disciples are supposed to make disciples who go on to make disciples, right? Oh, but you know, I haven't been to Bible school. You know, Jesus in Matthew 28 didn't say the qualification for making disciples was to go to Bible school, as beneficial as that is. And I said it last week, if you can go, go. I want to go. Just can't at the moment, but I want to go. <laughs> Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. All you may know is John 3.16. But if you know John 3.16, then you've got something to teach. Because that's all that you've been taught. Well, teach that. 
That's how we started. Back in 1992. After being Christians for a year, not even a year. And the Bible study was okay, everybody. Let's pray. Finish praying. There are 66 books in the Bible. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. There are four Gospels. There are the prophets. There are the history books. It was basic. I mean, we were talking about the Bible. We weren't even talking about what was in the Bible yet. That's how our Bible study started. I'd be like, what would it take for you to take responsibility and say, you know what, amen. I ain't got that much to give, but what I have, Lord, give I thee. Right? What would it take for some of the ladies? You know we don't have women in leadership roles and positions at South London because of our perspective, our ethos, our take on the scriptures with, you know, regarding that. But women can teach women. How about a small women's fellowship group? Check this one. I've got to pause for this one. How about starting a new church? So often we stand and say, Lord, can you believe it? We started a, a church. It'd be like, we, we must be mad. We started a Bible study years ago, and Pastor Brian Broderson, who was our pastor at the time, says, you know what, fellas? I mean, it was so hard to get the Bible study off the ground, but then once we did, after about three, four years, he said, you know what, you guys need to start a church. we like, you must be, with all due respect, Pastor Brian, that ain't going to happen. And then after about a year of us just realizing that God had called us to it, we submitted. And you know what? We're not, we're, we're not the, the, the best thing, the greatest thing that's happening in town, baby. You know what I mean? We're not the place where it's happening, right? But things are happening. Things are happening. As much as there's a, there potentially, possibly could be a lot of bad, there's a whole heap of good going on here. You know what I mean? For... Least of all, we're here in fellowship. We're meeting. We're gathering. We're a community. And I'm saying, if God could take our lives and do something substantial with it, just because we were willing to say, Lord, you know what? Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? There ain't enough food. And even if... Even if there was somewhere close, which there ain't, we wouldn't have enough money to buy the kind of food we need to feed 5,000 people. But you know what? The Lord wasn't looking for a, a McDonald's franchise that, would, that had the ability to churn out 500 black burgers and 500 sets of fries and 500 milkshakes in 10 minutes. All he needed was some, a couple of fishes and a couple of loaves of bread. And he broke that and he multiplied it. The Lord can take our little and make it so much. And you know what? With regard to going on to other things, starting up these different groups and taking responsibility to say, you know what, Lord? Hmm, I'm going to jump in the deep end. Well, when you jump in the deep end, you're joining all of us. You're joining with the disciples. Hey, we're all in the deep end. How many you got to disciple? I got 400 people. 
And I don't know what I'm going to teach. I don't know what I'm going to say. But I'm going to study and I'm going to trust that the Lord will fill my, fill my mouth. That's where we live in it, bro. Start in a new church. We have to start thinking like that. Because if we don't, what kind of church are we? If we're not considering growth in that sense. We wouldn't be here enjoying what we enjoy if someone hadn't considered that and made a commitment to it. And talk to the guys who are doing it, they're horrified. Talk to the ladies that are doing it, they're terrified. Talk to the guys who potentially are in a place to start a new church, which is where some of you guys are. <clears throat> You're petrified. Yet, these individuals, they put their trembling hand to the plow. And that's one of the things I love about Calvary Chapel, the movement. It has its faults, no doubt. We're experiencing some of the faults in Calvary Chapel, which is a lack of preparation. But people in Calvary Chapel are, in, are, are encouraged to get involved in the ministry. I don't know if you can see this picture because it's so bright in here. <clears throat> it's a picture of, obviously you can see Mark and Tab there. Addison and Janelle Warren. They're from California. They are in their early 20s. I mean 21, 22 years old, right? Mark and Tabitha met them last year, August, in Austria on their way from Bible school that they'd completed, now going to Ireland as missionaries. They, at this point, when we took this picture, they had only been married for a few months. They got married last year, March 2008. They went to Ireland to support the pastor there. They were involved in youth ministry. And they started a Bible study. 21 and 22 years old. They are... They were originally in a place called Dundalk, which is where they went to help initially. But they didn't even start the Bible study there. They started a Bible study in a place called Waterford. And now, the Bible study has been running for like seven months. They've just moved to Waterford. I was trying to sort it out. I couldn't drag the pictures into my keynote presentation to show you. They're in, they are now in Waterford planting a church. They just celebrated this last week their first year of marriage. I mean, so challenging. So challenging. How about. Oh, sorry, I forgot that bit. How about Raphael and Loretta in Mallorca, Spain? We were together serving, like I said, different people, children's ministry, sound team, blah, blah. Raphael, Raphael, you know what Raphael did? A lie, Raphael stood up at the door and greeted people as they came in. And before we could look around, Raphael says, you know what, guys? I sense the Lord calling me to plant a church in Spain. And we were like, no. <laughs> They'd be like, dun, dun, dun. You don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that from your peer. 
from someone that you used to roll in with. We go, we go Bible study together to hear somebody else teach. Now you're leaving to go teach, to go plant. I know that Sabina, she's not leaving here the same way that she came here. I know that she's not leaving here with the intention to, well, where am I going to go where they can help me? Where am I going to go that people can bless me? I know she's going to miss the fellowship because she's communicated that. I would and you would too. But she's not leaving the same way that she came, someone who's just got saved in need of being fed and watered and made a bottle to drink and spiritually speaking, needing a a nappy change. I'm saying need complete and constant attention, right? Like a newborn Christian does. Why? Because she's grown. And I know that... that, I know that that island is going to be affected just by her one life, you know what I'm saying, going back to Jamaica. Convinced of that with all my heart. How about William and Rebecca in Northern Ireland? William and Rebecca Orford. There's another two. We used to all just serve together in Westminster. Boom. Hey, guys, guess what? Oh, such a funny guy. Oh, God, I, I feel like the Lord's calling me to um, Northern Ireland. And we were like, what? <laughs> Bro, you're going to go to some place where... I mean... The stuff that they have to deal with in that country, in that part of the country, with the orange men and, I mean, back in the days, the IRA, because this is back in them, I'd be like, we'd be like, what? What would possess you to go to a place like that? Gone. He speaks fluent Chinese, fluent Mandarin, and he teaches it. You can probably see the little Chinese thing in the back. And his wife, she's, she's like, she's a professional violinist. I mean, like, played in the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra kind of quality. And they just laid all of that aside. Off to, it's like before you could even spin around, they were gone. We were like, no. Thank you, bro. Alipio. You guys got to meet Alipio. The guy's 30 years old. He's been pastoring now for eight years. And see, that's for those of you that think, well, you know what, I can't really do that until I get married, you know, still. When I get married, like all of them other ones, then, no, look. Solid brother. Oh, wow. And then you've got other examples of people who are making a commitment um, to, to go into ministry and to leave all that they have. See, I'm asking, are you willing, are you willing to lay down your life to some degree? Are you willing? Now, to those who are involved, quickly let me just mention this. To those of you, because I know we've got a lot of individuals like this in our fellowship. To those of you who are involved in music ministry, and I say music ministry, Right? It's ministry that involves music. If that's your gift, great. Glad to see that you're using it. But you better be able to do more than just look good on stage and jump up and down. If it's ministry, that is. 
Now, as a father or as a, probably a grandfather now, I don't know, as an older in the music ministry arena, I can't lie. I'm concerned about the, the content of modern gospel music. I can't lie. Not the style. You know, people be hating on the style. That's ungodly. That's of the devil. No, not the style, but the content. As a gifted gospel musician, what you share on stage is obviously an issue. But what do you, what do you have to communicate and share when you're off stage? What do you do with your time when you're off stage? See, talking about gifts and using them and being faithful with them. How could I, as a nearly 20-year-old Christian, with all good conscience, say, nah, man, I don't really feel like I really want to get involved in that, or I really don't feel like I want to do that. For those of you in music ministry, there's a couple of you here, let me tell you, you will inevitably find yourself in a place where you're going to be like, man, this music thing is great, it's wonderful, God's using it, he's blessing it, blessing people. But you're going to get to a point where you're going to be like, you know what? There's, more, there's got to be more to it than the music. That's how we ended up in ministry. Because we would go places and we'd do the music thing and everyone's like, yeah. But then you've got people who need help. You'd, oh, you're presenting to me this Jesus. You're some advert for Jesus and the Bible. Well, talk to me about the Bible then. I'd be like, oh, okay. Well, no spotlights. No, no audience. No cameras. But now, this is where the, the real work continues. See, I found myself in a place where I couldn't, with all good conscience, say, well, you know what, no, I'm not really ready for that, or I'm not, I don't really feel like I want to do that. I couldn't, with all good conscience. I, I had to get in the game. I had to get involved. And that's one of the reasons why I say it's going to get uncomfortable around here, because... We're going to accommodate your gifting and the development of that gift. You might say, well, boy, you know what? I don't know if I really want to share my gift. Well, listen to that. Does that sound right? I don't want to share my gift. See, and everybody has a gift. We're going to conclude here now. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. Huh? I mean... That's more true now than it was when it was written. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. That's so important. Because we offend each other all the time. Get in each other's faces. Do stuff that upsets one another. We've got to love one another in order to cover that stuff. And we all need it covered. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. May the Lord help us to do that. It's Mother's Day. Help us to take an example from mothers who live selflessly, giving themselves to others more, need, more needed than themselves. Okay, we'll have to stop there. Um, would you join me as we pray?
Father, I thank you because you're a good father. And as a father myself, I realize that in my house sometimes I say things that upset the rest of the household like, son, you haven't taken a rubbish out. Surely I'm not the only one that smells it. Come on now. Or to my daughter, I've been looking for that t-shirt, but I realize it's in the wash. How come it ain't been in the washing machine and been washed and dried by now? What's going on? And Lord, as a father, I wonder how often you look at us like that. Not in a condemnate in, in condemnate in, with condemnation or in condemn in a judgmental sense. But you're wanting us to grow up. You're wanting us to become responsible because there's going to come a time, young lady, when you're going to have your own house and your own children to look after. There's going to come a time, young man, where you're going to have to be able to do these things for yourself. And Father, it must be your desire as a father to see us grow as your children. Grow and develop and change and become more today than we were yesterday. That, that is your desire as a father. And we know that we are going to make mistakes. Because no one's perfect. As much as we strive to be perfect as our father in heaven is perfect. And, and yet you are so not condemning. You so love us and you so encourage us when we try and we fail. You encourage us. You don't berate us. But you will have stiff words with us. If we're not willing, if we're unwilling to serve others in the family, why should I take out the rubbish? Well, you eat food that goes in the bin, right? And Lord, I ask that you would allow that attitude to permeate us as a fellowship, Lord, as a family, as a community. Lord, that, that, that would permeate, it wouldn't, Lord, that you wouldn't have to point a finger at us and tell us that we should do that. But, Lord, that we would just give ourselves to it. And there's some areas, Lord, where, 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 where some will give themselves and it might not be the area that they should be in. But that's all right. Six weeks and we find that out and they can move into another area, Lord. Yeah. Lord, there needs to be that willingness. And, Father, all the shouting and screaming and pulpit thumping from the front or even in personal, in person, Lord, and in private, Lord, that's not, gonna, that's, not, that's, that's not what we're looking for, Lord. We're asking that you would motivate us by your spirit, just like you did in Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 4, when the believers sold everything that they had. Not because they had to, because they chose to. And they loved one another. They were of one mind and one heart. And those who were in leadership, they weren't perfect. We see Peter being rebuked by the Apostle Paul later on. So Peter wasn't perfect, but Lord, he, he was willing. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, that you would help us. Because we need, Lord, we need your help. And we need the help of one another, Lord, if we're going to continue to, to, to obey you, to hear what you have to say. To observe what you've said 
to interpret and oh, I understand what he means, but then also then to go and apply it because it means something directly to us. It means something directly to me, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to that end, Lord, in order for us to be a, a real church. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen. I'm not done,